Well, okay. So we're in this series, and we're looking at, at, at faith, and we're looking at the, the, the issue of faith. And, and so if you have your Bibles, iPad, Kindle, uh, Nook, whatever you use, your Droid, uh, your iPhone, whatever you use to, to get your Bible on media, any type of media, uh, you can go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 12. Uh, that's where we started last week. Today we're going to start at uh, verse 10, and then we're going to move all the way to chapter 13, verse 4, is what we're going to walk through. And we're looking at this issue of faith, and we're looking at this issue about what is faith, and how do we know faith when we see it? How do we know what it means to demonstrate and live a life of faith? What does it mean to walk by sight and not by uh, to walk, walk, walk by faith and not by sight. And so the Bible tells us that Abraham was this guy that demonstrated great faith. In fact, is that's what the writer of Hebrews tells us. And so if Abraham demonstrated a life of great faith, then it would be reasonable or it makes sense that we should examine his life and look at his life to see what does it mean to live a life of faith? What, what does that look like? What are the attributes that we can apply to our life? Now, a couple of principles that are just going to kind of unfold or come out of the text this morning as we walk through this together. The first principle is this, is disobedience complicates your life. There's just no way around it. Disobedience to God's word, compromising actions, words in your life, disobedience brings complication or it complicates your life. And the other principle is true as well. Disobedience will chart a direction in your life. In fact, is disobedience, choices that we make, will chart a direction in our life to where if we don't turn, if we don't change, we may end up in a place where we never wanted to be. So disobedience complicates one's life. Disobedience determines direction in one's life. And so today we're going to look at Abraham's life and how he lived this life of faith. Several years back, I, I started learning to play golf. And, and so uh, I, I like to read and I like to research and I like to study stuff. And so I began reading a lot of books on golf and trying to just figure the whole game out. And so Dr. Bob Rotella wrote, wrote a book called Golf is Not a Game of Perfect. In other words, that it's, there's no such thing as perfection in golf. And I know that really, really well. And so, but anyway, Dr. Bob Rotella in his book was talking about the way that a golfer, the best way for a golfer to understand how to play a golf course is not from standing on the tee box and looking to the flag. Because the designers of a golf course normally set up optical illusions, they hide hazards, slope of the, of the fairways, slope of a grid, sand traps, and all these other things. Because the, the object for the, the designer of a golf course, the way it sets up at the tee box is, is try to trick a golfer, him or her, to hit in an area where they do not want to be that would be dangerous or would be a hazard. fact is, Bob Rotella says the best way to understand how to play a golf course is standing at the, on the green, standing on the destination, standing at the flag, and turning around and looking back to the tee box. Then all of the hazards become clear. It becomes really clear what were optical illusions, what were tricks, what were hidden hazards. You know what? A lot of times that's true in life as well. A lot of times, life, when we look forward, we don't recognize the hazards. We don't recognize the optical illusions that we think will bring us peace and happiness and success and all of those other things. And a lot of times in our life, life is better understood looking back. And the optical illusions become clear. The sand traps, the hazards, 
the penalty strokes, the problems become clear. That's why we as Christians, we're to walk by faith and not by sight. That's why pro golfers have caddies that walk the course backwards, that chart the hazards, the slopes, the sand traps, all of those other things, to guide the golfer, to keep the golfer out of trouble. That's why we as New Testament believers have the Holy Spirit. That's why we have his word to guide us and to direct us. Because the Bible is clear that we do not live a life, live by sight, but by faith. You see, most of us, we want to see it, then trust it. God wants us to trust him and then see it and walk in it. That's why God called Abraham last week, if you're with us, and you remember that when God called Abraham to leave his family and leave all of his relatives, the home that he, uh, uh, his home country, and he, was, he, he had a great life there at the age of 75, and he called him and Sarah, his wife, she was 65, to go to a land that I will show you, to walk in faith, not by sight. And God told Abraham, follow me. Because you have never been this way before. And so Abraham, at the age of 75, sets out and begins following God. With a great promise, right? I will make you a great nation. I will make you the father of many nations. I will, I will bless you. And so Abraham sets out to a land that he does not know where it is, to a land that God says, when you get there, I will tell you. He started walking with great faith. And he gets to Canaan where God promised him to go. And there's problems. There's a famine in Canaan. There's struggles in Canaan. God never told Abraham about the famine. Abraham signed up to be the father of many nations. Abraham signed up for the blessing. And he gets to Canaan. And in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, it says there's a famine in the land. Famines were horrible. And Abraham is faced with a, pro- a problem that many of us are faced with daily. You're going to trust me? Or are you going to trust your circumstances? Are you going to continue to follow me when problems come? Because there's three things that we can pull out of this. The first one is this. People of faith will have problems. We have got to understand that people of faith. Abraham is following God. He's radically following God. He has left family. He has left resources. He has left a job. He has left a profession. He has his family with him. Abraham radically following God, right? He's walking with God, and all of a sudden, he has this temptation because he's entered Canaan, and Canaan has a a famine. Watch this. The Bible says this, verse 10. Now, there was a famine in the land. Now, listen, famines were horrible. Famines were awful in their time. And he says, so Abraham went down to Egypt. God didn't call him to Egypt. See, when famines, see, famines are horrible. Fact is, the Bible goes on and says that this particular famine, he went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for this famine was severe in the land. See, this wasn't any normal famine. 
This was a famine that was very severe. I mean, the rain did not fall. The crops did not grow. The sheep were growing really thin. There was a downturn in the economy. The stock market had crashed. Uh, the, there was high, high unemployment. Abraham is worried, can I survive? Can I provide for my family? And in that time, when you are confronted with a problem, you and I have a choice. Are we going to continue to walk by faith and not by sight? Are we going to continue to, are we going to, continue to trust him? See, there's all kinds of famines that you and I can have in life. We can have relational famines. Where it's just that dry time of relationships. Whether it's being single or whether it's being married. Where there's just that difficulty in marriage and that difficulty in relationships. Where it's just not as positive or fun or uplifting as it once was. It's just that dry season. We can have a professional famine. Through that job that was once was so easy and they seemed like there was no struggles and you were so excited about it. And now it's just a grind. And now it's just a struggle just to, just to make it happen. We, we can have health famines. You see, famines were symbolic in the Old Testament of a time of deep stress, deep hurt, Deep pain, deep loss, deep struggle, betrayal is a part of a famine. A famine and our life is a test. What decision will you make? See, There is no such thing as we as believers getting to this level of maturity to where we no longer have problems and we no longer have struggles. It's a a part of it, right? The fact is Jesus prepared as far as Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have many tribulations. Jesus to another group of people explained it to them this way. He says, you know what? I hate to tell you, but the rain will fall on the just and the unjust. When Jesus was talking to a group of people that had anxiety and worry and they were just paralyzed in their anxiety and worry, Jesus just looked at them and said, you know what, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. When we hit those famines and we have those problems, like Abraham, we have to answer the question, What will we do? How will we handle it? Will we continue to to trust him? The Bible says that Abraham went down to Egypt. Well, that's what the world was doing. That's what everybody else was doing. I mean, and it was a good decision. But let me tell you something. There's a difference between a good decision and a godly decision. Egypt was where the Nile River was. Egypt, there was no famine. Egypt had plenty of water. Their crops were growing fine. Their their economy was doing wonderful. And Abraham decides, I'm going to do just what everybody else is doing. Never once in Scripture do you see that God called him to Egypt, told him to go to Egypt. He just went. The question is, why? 
Well, I mean, when we left off, I mean, Abraham was this man that just went to a place where he didn't know, to where God says, when you get there, we'll show you. I mean, he demonstrated great faith. Listen, let me tell you something. Just because you're faithful today does not mean you'll be faithful tomorrow. Abraham's life is an example of that. Now he's struggling with this issue of faith with all the decisions that he's made. And so the question is that I had when I'm reading this text, why? Why did he, do, why did he go down to Egypt? I get it that the Nile River was there. I get it that, that they didn't have a... But why? I think the secret is in that phrase when he said he went down there to sojourn. Now, we probably don't understand really what that mean to sojourn means as it does in the Hebrew. Sojourn in the Hebrew means this. It means to depart from the path in which you're on. Depart from a path that God has you on, a depart from a path that you're walking on, and to divert to another path. Oh, and another definition of the word sojourn means temporarily. A phrase maybe that we're more comfortable with and we understand for a little while. See, I think people, when, when famines come, compromise many times happens when we divert off the path that God has for us is we convince ourselves just for a little while. I'll lie this once. I'll compromise my purity this once. I'm only going to... That's really not me. I'm only going to do this for a little while. It's only one night. It's only one relationship. It's only one act. It's only one decision. Egypt seemed very advantageous to Abraham because he convinced himself this is just for a little while. But the problem with that, disobedience in life determines direction. Disobedience in life complicate your life and Abraham's life is about ready to get really really complicated with some of the decisions that he's been making and the same thing is true that obedience in one's life brings blessing and so the first principle of people of faith people of faith will have problems the second thing is this people of faith will be tempted I mean, just like we never get to the place where we never have to deal with problems again, guess what? We never get to the place where we have to deal with temptation. fact is, Paul said this. Paul says, if you think you ever have arrived at this place in your life as a believer, that you'll never deal with temptation and you're never going to be tempted, he says, you're standing on sifting sand. You will fall. And we have to understand that we never will come to the place to where we just get out from under this issue of temptation, regardless of our... Strengthen God. Egypt, compromise, disobedience will seem good to us. Just as it did with Abraham. Abraham was called a friend of God. A man of great faith. Canaan is, or Egypt, is 275 miles away from Canaan. So Abraham takes his wife, Sarah, their stuff, and they begin uh, uh, 
uh, going down to, to Egypt, 270 miles away. So that was days, that's weeks. And Abraham doesn't mention his plan at all to Sarah. Fact is, he had been putting it off because he knew it was compromise. And so just as about they're going into Egypt, and you know this, the sign, welcome to Egypt sign, uh, Abraham decides, you know what, I'm out of time. I've got to break the news to Sarah. Watch this, verse 11. So when he was about to enter Egypt, so he sees the sign, welcome to Egypt, visitors welcome, and all of that stuff. And so he turned to his wife, Sarah, and said, I know that you're a, beautiful, a woman, beautiful in appearance, so if you've got a bomb to drop on someone, always start with a compliment, right? So, he, so he's doing that. He's telling Sarah, Sarah, you, you know, you're beautiful. You're beautiful in, in appearance, and, but I, I got something I, I got to tell you. You know, if that's been done to you enough, when people come, compliment you, you kind of flinch, right? You kind of wonder, well, okay, so when's the shoe going to drop? And Sarah may have been the same way. So he turns to her and he says, Sarah, I need to let you know. You're beautiful. And so then he goes. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they'll kill me. Who's Abraham worried about? Himself. Sin is selfish. Sin doesn't care about anybody else but themselves. See, the issue of sin is this. The root issue of sin is sin only cares about the individual. He didn't care about Sarah. Watch this. We just keep reading. They will kill me, but they will let you live. Say, Say you are my sister. Sarah, I need you to lie for me. I need you to conceal the truth. I need you to tell a half-truth. See, disobedience always determines direction. Disobedience always complicates your life. I tell you the problem with sin. The second lie is always easier than the first. The second cover-up is always easier than the first. The second act of compromise is always easy. And we're going to see this in Abraham's life. And so now Abraham tells his wife, I need you to lie for me. Not because I'm worried about you. I mean, he admitted you're going to live. But for me, sin always puts the individual over everybody else. And so he goes on and he says, say you're my sister, why? So, so now we know that it may go well with me because of you. And that my life may be spared for your sake. Abraham. His life is about ready to get really complicated because why? Disobedience complicates one's life. And, and the man that was called a friend of God has asked his wife to enter in the cover-up and to lie on his behalf. You see, a lie is just a deliberate attempt to mislead another. It's to falsify information. It's to tell a half-truth. It's to conceal the whole truth. Sometimes people lie by concealing the truth. Sometimes people lie by only telling their side and not telling all the details so that you support them. Sometimes people lie by 
not giving all the facts, not revealing all the details. And so Abraham tells his wife, I just need you to lie for me. And so we go on and read in verse 14. And when Abraham entered Egypt, the Egypt, Egyptians saw that the woman was beautiful, so that's Sarah. And when the princes of the Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Legally, a Pharaoh could take any woman for his wife. Legally, if she was married, he could have the man, her husband, put to death. And Abraham got that, and Abraham understood that. Don't forget, God never called him to Egypt. You never see where Abraham prayed with his wife, talked with his wife, asked his wife's opinion, said God has led us to Egypt. We know where God has led him to. We know that he has diverted, sojourned, he has diverted off the path. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and for her sake he dealt well with Abraham. So, so things are working out well for old Abe, right? He's getting blessed. So he gets sheep and oxen, male, uh, uh, male donkeys, made, uh, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and, and camels. She's only a sister after all, right? Abraham was once wealthy and influential in his community, in his area. And now, he's wealthy, he's influential once it... wonder if that was some of his motivation. I just want to be influential again. I just want to be important again. You know, this last week, I went through all the scriptures about Sarah's life, and you can do the same this week. And yes, it is true, Sarah was beautiful, but she was beautiful from the inside out. At 65 years of age, when Abraham came to her and said, God spoke to me, and we're supposed to leave and go to a land that we do not know. We're supposed to leave everything, our home and everything. She followed God and her husband obediently. You never find one time in Scripture where Sarah complained, Sarah criticized, Everything in Scripture that is revealed about Sarah, she was obedient to her husband, supported to her husband. She was obedient to God. Fortunately for Sarah, God protected her. You see, when a Pharaoh would take a woman to be their wife, there was a period of waiting. And they were still in that period of waiting. So even in, even in Abraham's rebellion, God was still protecting Sarah. Verse 17, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So Pharaoh, okay, so not a God follower, important. So Pharaoh called Abraham and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? In other words, I cannot even believe you just did this, and I'm not even a God follower. I'm not even a Christian. You lied to me. You put me in a position, if he had taken her as his wife, huge consequences for Pharaoh, huge problems for Pharaoh. This Pharaoh 
is shocked. Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now here's a shocking verse. Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. Do you realize Pharaoh could have had, had Abraham put to death for lying? For putting him in that position? It had been legal. It had been right. There had been no charges filed against That was when he, within, within his right. You know what that tells me? That even when Abraham was in Egypt, God still cared about him. God still protected him. God protected Abraham and God protected Sarah, even in disobedience. Let me tell you something. I don't know if you're like me. But I can stand on the green of my life and look back to the tea box. And I can find periods when I disobeyed. When I diverted from the path, when Egypt looked advantageous to me, and I have a testimony of how God protected me. Yeah, my life was complicated. Yeah, there was disobedience. Some of you this morning, if you would say, you know what? I'm in Egypt. I'm either in Egypt relationally I'm in Egypt with some decisions that I've made. I know I'm not in a good place, and I know my life is complicated. Let me tell you something. God still cares for you in Egypt. And God wants you to come back to him and change your direction. Because obedience always brings blessing. Guess what? Obedience will determine your direction of life as well. And Abraham, when Pharaoh said, take her and go, Abraham knew. He could have lost his life and God saved him and God protected him. So Abraham leads his family back to Canaan. Listen, people of faith will have problems. People of faith will be tempted and the last one is this. People of faith, they'll return back to God. People of faith, when Egypt seems advantageous to them. Now listen, let me just tell you something. God forgives us of sin. And God forgives us from the eternal consequences of sin. But we still have to deal with the earthly consequences of our decisions that we've made. And Abraham... In Genesis chapter 13, 1 through 4 was, was no different. fact is, let's just read the scriptures. Here, here's what the scripture says. So Abraham went up from Egypt. You, in, in my Bible, I've, I've noted that, and I have the word repentance on that. That's what repentance means. Repentance is not just a change of, uh, uh, is not just a change of mind. It's just not, sorry, I got caught, my bad. Uh, uh, repentance isn't any of that. Repentance is this, a change of mind that what? That leads to a change of action. Repentance is demonstrated in your life. Repentance is demonstrated in the next step that you take. Abraham repented. And how do we know that? Why? Because he left Egypt. It wasn't just my bad. This, this hurts. This, 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 there's a lot of complications in my life. It wasn't any of that. Abraham repented because he says, 
I'm going back to Egypt. Fact is, you know what he does? He goes back to the place where he last heard God speak to him in a worship service. So watch this. So Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all he had, and Lot with him into the Nedgeb. You know what's a shame? Abraham didn't have anyone in his life that could speak truth in his life and prevent him from going to Egypt. Nobody. Lot didn't say a word. His family didn't say a word. And so he returns, and now Abraham was very rich in livestock and silver and gold, and, and he journeyed on from the, the Nedgeb uh, as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made. So here, okay, so he's going back to a worship service. He, you know what you do when you want to return to God? You return back to the place where you last heard him speak. You learn to worship God again. You learn to call out on the name of the next week. Next week we're going to talk about the principles of, of just the principles of worship that, that, that tie in to leaving, living a life of just faithfulness and following God. When you return to him, you return to him by going back to the place where you last heard him speak to where you worship him. The scripture says this, and there what? There Abraham did what? He worshiped God. He called out on the name of God. He remembered God's faithfulness. He remembered the attributes of God, that he is holy and that he is good and that he protected him. And Abraham entered into this time of just, just deep worship. And so it's true, a person of faith will have problems, and a person of faith will have temptation, and a person of faith will return to God. Now listen, I just got to tell you, one of my largest concerns about preaching this message is that I would communicate to you this morning that Abraham disobeyed God, went down to Egypt, and he returns Genesis chapter 13, verse 2. Now, Abraham was very rich in livestock. That I would communicate to you that sin really has no consequences. Yeah, he compromised. Yeah, he went down to Egypt. But he comes back rich. Yeah, it's true. God forgives us of our sin. He forgives us of the eternal consequences of our sins. But we may have to deal with Egypt the rest of our life. What did it cost Abraham? That's a fair question. What did it cost Abraham? From departing from the path that God had him on, from going down to Egypt, what did it cost him? He may have come back wealthy, but he didn't have a witness any longer. Pharaoh. Pharaoh was not a God follower. And Abraham blew his witness. We are ambassadors of Christ. In other words, we represent Christ in our job, in our profession, in our community, in our church, in our relationships, in our family. Pharaoh, not a God follower, is shocked at the behavior of Abraham. Pharaoh asked him, 
how could you do this? How could you make that decision? Just a little glimpse into a pastor's life. Uh, uh, when, whenever a pastor, you, I'll just talk about me, but whenever I'm out in public, the, you know, you can have great conversation going, whether it's on a golf course with some strangers that you just met, on an airplane, on, on vacation, wherever. And so the, the one question that just is awkward is when it gets to that question about, so what do you do for a living? Because when you tell someone that you're a pastor, I mean, they totally freak. They totally, and, and one or two things are going to happen when you, when you tell someone that. Like I was on a plane here a while back, and, and one or two things are going to happen. Whenever it gets, I was having a great conversation with this guy sitting next to me. And so we get around to the question, what do you do for a living? I say, I'm a pastor. And he, like, freaked out. And no more conversation. They just shut down. So either they just, they just freak out, don't understand, they ignore you, or B, what happens is it just happens into a two-and-a-half-hour counseling session for the rest of the trip. And so that's kind of the life of a pastor. And so, uh, so a lot of times there's just a lot of, well, I have a pastor friend that was on a cruise. And he was on this cruise, and it was a couple of days into the cruise, and they were at breakfast. And, you know, a, a, a cruise is like this social deal where people are meeting people all the time. And so they're at the breakfast table. They're eating breakfast. A couple comes up and says, hey, can we join you? Sure, sit down. So they're, they're visiting and talking. And so all of a sudden, the, the guy was very open about what he did for a living. And he says, hey, by the way, he says, I happen to be an attorney. This is my wife. She's a professor in a big college. And, and so talking about what they do for a living. And then so he turns to my pastor, Fred. He says, so what do you do for a living? And so there's always that temptation uh, just to keep the conversation going so that you can witness to someone, you know. I've thought of saying stuff like, you know, I'm, I, I'm kind of a motivational speaker and I do weekend seminars. Uh, <laughs> but you know what I decided? That's like concealing some of the truth. And so that's, that's like a lie and you can't do that, right? And so you just have to tell them. And so, so anyway, so he told him, he says, well, I'm a pastor. And he said he watched the facial expression of that attorney just change. And he says, I hate Christians. Yeah, I mean, it never ends well. And so he says, well, one, he thought, I'm on vacation. <laughs> the other thing, he says, can I ask why? And he goes, yeah. He said, I've had Christian clients, lack of integrity, lack of morals, ask me to do things. that lost people, my estimation, don't ask me to do. I, I have a real hard problem with Christians because of some of the Christians that I've come up against and know and know their decisions. I have some God questions But I have this barrier of some people that claim to be Christians. And there's no distinctives in their life. There's no difference. They handle their, same, their business ethics the same way that anyone else does. They handle expense reports. They handle their relationships. They handle their relationships. And I'm struggling with this. And my friend took him, says, go to the library and, and get a Bible at, on the cruise and read First and Second Peter because Simon Peter had the same issues you do with some people that profess to be believers. And he's like, really? 
He goes, yeah. Sometimes we underestimate the damage that we do when we destroy our witness in a family, in a profession, in a community. We can live our lives in such a way that it inoculates people to where I don't want anything to do with it. I don't see the difference. I don't see the joy. I don't see the forgiveness. I don't see the love. I don't see the generosity. Another consequence in Abraham's life, I don't know that he ever repaired his relationship with Sarah of putting his needs, his career, his dreams above her to the point where he asked her to to lie. Remember I told you that the second sin is always easier than the first. The second lie is always easier. The second cover-up is always easier than the first. I know it's hard to believe, but later on in Abraham's life, he asked his wife to lie for him again. What about the testimony left to his kids? You study Abraham's life, you study Abraham's family tree. They all knew the story. Isaac, one of his sons, when he was married to Rebekah and a king was going to kill him, Isaac said, I want you to lie for me. You're my sister. Son that stole a birthright. Grandson that lied about Joseph. Sometimes the cost is not visible until you look beneath it and realize that disobedience will always complicate your life. Disobedience will chart a direction in your life and can take you to places where you do not want to go. And it can take you to places where God never designed and created you to go. Do you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Let me just ask you this morning, what is God saying to you as a result of this message? And I, I've been talking about this for several weeks, that there's always a next step for every one of us. We, none of us ever arrive. There's just always a next step. And you have to determine from the Lord what, what that next step is. What, what is that next step for you? I worry about some of you that may be in Egypt right now. You know you've diverted from the path. You know you're in an area where God is not designed for you. You know, I don't have to convince you, you know your life is complicated. You know disobedience is taking you to places and relationships and situations that you don't, you're not designed. There is no peace. There's no comfort. And maybe this morning for you is to just to make a commitment. You know what? I'm going back to Egypt. And I'm going to learn to worship him again. I'm going to learn to call out on the name of the Lord. And I'm going to learn to hear from him. And I'm going to learn to walk by faith and not by sight. It won't happen overnight. Listen. Abraham didn't get to Egypt overnight, and he didn't get out of Egypt overnight. And guess what? You're not either. But you need to start that path. 
know what I'm worried about? I'm worried this morning that I may be talking to some Sarahs and some, some Pharaohs. That, you know, in the situation, they were really innocent. They were just innocent. They were casualties of a decision of another. They were casualties of a sin of another. Sin is never personal. It always affects those that are around you. And maybe in this room, there's some Sarahs and there's some Pharaohs and there's some deep hurt. And you need to forgive. You need to release some people. And maybe you need to understand that you did not cause that. You did not, she did not force her husband to lie. That was his decision. Maybe some of you just need to accept him and come into a relationship with him. Maybe we just need to be reminded of our testimony.